Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. Cool, so I'm just going to speak to us for like 20 minutes or so, I promise. And um, some of you are nervous of that. I think it'll be all right. And um, we've actually been in a series recently called Miracles. We've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And um, it just so happened that today we were landing in a place where we wanted to finish up this series and we want to talk about a miracle that Jesus performed. And um, really, I want to tell you a story. Um, So uh, all good stories have a villain and all good stories have a hero. And in the story that I want to tell you today, the the villain essentially is sickness and death and decay. And the hero, because it's a story from the Bible, who do you reckon the hero is going to be, guys? Jesus, exactly. So the hero of our story today is Jesus. And I just want to say this with all of my heart. Is there like some kind of crazy alarm going off? Are you all okay? Possibly an alarm. Are you all right? Are you sure you're okay? Good. don't know what just happened. The story has got this hero, it's Jesus. And I want to say to you today that in this story, we see Jesus do something absolutely remarkable. The hero of this story turns a whole family situation upside down on its head for the better. But the wonderful thing about this story is it's not just a story that changed a family's life. And it's a true story that did happen a few thousand years ago. But it's a story that actually points to a bigger story that impacts every single one of us in this room without question. Without question. And it's the story, and the story begins with a man called Lazarus. And he's got two sisters, Martha and Mary. And they live in a little village called Bethany. And it's just on the outskirts of a place called Jerusalem. And what happens in this story is that Lazarus gets sick. So enter the villain into our story, right? And and this family are really good friends of Jesus. Now, if you know the Bible, or even if you don't know the Bible, up until this point, what you've seen is Jesus doing all kinds of incredible things. He's moving around the area and he's healing people and miracles are getting performed. And this family, Martha, Mary and and, um, Lazarus have had encounters with him. This is their friend, They know Jesus, they love Jesus, and Jesus loves them. So when they hit this moment in their life where things are a little bit broken, Lazarus is sick, the obvious thing to do is like, well, it's all good. We've got a friend in Jesus. Anyone know that song? Got a friend in Jesus. Go get Jesus. Now, it's a little bit of a risk, and the reason it's a bit of a risk is because Jesus isn't exactly flavour of the month with the local religious leaders. And because Bethany's just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, it's a dangerous place for Jesus to be because Jesus might get arrested, and maybe even more than that, may even get executed. But Lazarus is so sick, they're like, we need to call for him. So they send messengers out, and the messengers go to our hero of the story, and they say, hey, Jesus, the one that you love, he's sick. He's really sick. Now, in most stories where you have a villain and you have a hero, you would expect at this point the hero to kick into action, change suits, get into a bit of a cape and some... I was going to say something weird then. What's it called, the material they were? Lycra. I was going to say something completely different and I nearly did, which would have been awful for the rest of my life. Uh, But you expect the hero to kick into gear. Here I come. Here comes Jesus. And he's going to like rush to the situation. And what you see is completely the opposite. Your your friend, Lazarus, is, is about to die. He's sick. 
Jesus says, I'm going to wait for two days. Now imagine if you come here to the cinema and you watch the latest Marvel movie, kind of forever. Who's seen that? What a film. I won't ruin it. Don't worry. Was that you booing? Don't boo movies. You don't need to do that. Um, but imagine in a, in a hero film, if, if the hero, superhero hears of the news that something bad's happened in the city, catastrophe struck, and then they were like, do you know what? I'll probably just tap out for a couple of days. Have a cup of coffee, let's chill out, and maybe in a couple of days I'll go deal with it. At that point, you're probably looking at the superhero thinking, is this person even a goodie? Goodies and baddies, yeah? Is he even a goodie? <laughs> you're like, all right. Is he even a goodie? Is there something going on underneath the surface that's a bit twisted here? Is he actually one of the bad guys? What happens is that Jesus deliberately and intentionally does exactly that. He waits. But this is Jesus. He's supposed to be good, right? And he's in complete control of this situation. And so we have to pause at a moment like this in a story and we have to say, well, hang on a minute. Either Jesus is completely insane, he's completely evil when he just wants more suffering to come to this family, but we've already heard that Jesus loves this family. So what's going on underneath the surface? And that answer comes in verses 14 and 15 in John's Gospel, chapter 11, 14 and 15. He says to his disciples, two days, so he's waited for two days. It says that Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus has deliberately waited for two days, knowing that the people that he loves are suffering and in fact are going to suffer even more. And yet, there's something going on underneath the surface. And I think what's going on underneath the surface is this. It's that there's something greater that Jesus wants his friends to see that's even greater than suffering, even greater than grieving, even greater than any suffering you could possibly imagine that we have to face. Jesus is like, I want you to see me for who I really am. And if you don't really know who Jesus is, you might be a bit like, I'm not sure about that. It seems like a bit of an odd desire. But as we work through the story, we're going to see that Jesus, in fact, wants them to see who he is for their own benefit. He wants them to see that he's not just a magic man, that he doesn't go around just doing tricks. But in fact, Jesus holds all authority over life and death itself. And he wants his friends, the people that he loves, he wants them to see and understand, I'm him. I'm the one that is over death itself. And I don't want you just to see it. I want you to experience it. And as you can imagine, because Jesus has made this decision, complete control that he's in, it causes some confusion. So the people around him, there's three examples. You've got Martha and Mary, the two sisters, and then you've got the crowd that are around the situation with Lazarus. So Lazarus has now died, and Jesus has taken his friends to go to be with the family. It seems like he's on a mission. But there's, there's confusion each one of these people starts to question Jesus' motives. Martha, if you'd been here, then my, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary, exactly the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The crowd start to, to sort of wonder, if, is this even the Messiah? This one who saves other people, why couldn't he have come and saved this man? And what we see in this moment, even though Jesus is in complete control, is we see compassion. We see compassion and we see counsel come from Jesus. 
He doesn't just sort of skip his way back into Bethany saying, I know you're all really sad, your brother's died, and he's got a bit of a smirk on his face thinking, look at what I'm about to do, I'm about to change everything. That's not what happens at all. He meets each of these people exactly where they're at. First of all, Martha comes to Jesus. Where were you, Jesus? Why didn't you come? And Jesus knows Martha. Jesus needs to speak quite straight to Martha. That's what she needs. She needs the truth. She needs to have her head lifted high. And so they engage in this conversation and Jesus starts to talk about the resurrection, life after death. Martha's like, yeah, I, I believe in the resurrection. Jesus is like, listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. Now, don't, don't miss this. Jesus doesn't say there is life after death. He doesn't say, yeah, there's probably something, probably something that your, your brother's gone on to. Might be nice. doesn't say that at all. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this isn't old news. This is valid today. This is the words of Jesus for today. I am the resurrection and the life. So he's not just saying, yes, there's life after death. He's saying, yes, there's life after death. And you only get that through me. I'm it. It's not a concept. It's not a value system. It's not being moral. It's a person. Come to me. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So what he's saying, if you put your trust in Jesus, there's a continuation. Death is no more. It's no more. And then he says this, do you believe this? Maybe for some of us today, we need to hear that question from Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe that one day millions will be raised from the dead, worshipping the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's the only way to that place? Do you believe it is him and him alone? He meets Martha with truth. He lifts her head and gives her hope. And then Jesus carries on and he comes across Mary and Mary comes a little bit different. Now when Mary came, it says, a few verses on, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exactly the same thing that Martha said, but coming from a different place, different people. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to her were also weeping, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So Jesus comes into this situation. He speaks to Martha, gives her truth, lifts her head, gives her hope, comes to Mary and he weeps with her. Perfect counsellor. Knows how to meet each one of us in our own needs, knows how to speak to each one of us, knows what we need in every single moment. This is what you see with Martha and then Mary. And he's not smug, even though he's in complete control. He's allowed it to happen. Through the suffering, there's something that's going to come that's even greater. It's so hard for us to understand. But Jesus doesn't look on smugly. He says, here's truth. And then he says, I weep with you. I weep with you. Some of you here today, you need to know this. In your brokenness, the Lord God feels your pain. You need to know that the Lord God knows how to grieve, does grieve, has a heart that aches for people. 
It's not a weakness. Right, as Christians, we don't just sort of wipe the tears away and say it doesn't matter because we believe in the resurrection. It hurts. Death hurts. And that's why you see this other emotion. It says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, but also it says he was greatly troubled. In fact, the translation for that really should just say he was angry. He was angry. It's just most of the translators don't like to talk like that about Jesus. (laughs) Probably I shouldn't be talking about these people. He was angry. So like, what's he angry about? As we read on, it says, then you've got the crowd. So he deals with Martha, deals with Mary. Then you've got the crowd and the crowd say, look, see how he loved him. But some of the crowd say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Ever come to that point in your life? If there really was a God and he can do all of this stuff, why did he let that happen? Who is he to make that decision? And so the, the, the death of his friend, it not only brings grieving and pain and hurt and brokenness, it also starts to bring doubt. I don't believe this guy. If this guy really loved him, he would have been here. And I think that's where the anger is coming from. Jesus is angry at death and the destruction of death. He's angry at what death brings to humanity, to the brokenness that it just pours out. People starting to doubt him and turn away from him. And he gets stirred. And then what happens is that Jesus then starts to go towards the tomb where Lazarus has been buried for four days. Four days. So his body now is starting to decay. Sorry to take us there, but that's the deal. Lazarus was sick. He died. Four days later, his body is starting to decay. If anyone needed a saviour, it's Lazarus, right? And and Jesus, it says, he comes to the entrance of the tomb and it says the same thing again, that he came greatly troubled. Some translators would talk about him coming like a war horse, snarling at at the mouth of this tomb, like he means action. He's come to do something. And he's standing right in front of death itself. He's angry at the destruction that is brought. And Jesus, in this moment, then does what he came to do. Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus has allowed this story to unfold, it has for a reason, so that the disciples, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, the people in Bethany, the people that read this story account would believe who he really is. He's like, that's why I'm doing this. I need you to see, and Emmanuel and everyone that's here as guests, I'm saying the same to you today. We need to see who Jesus really is. Jesus holds the key to life and death. He says it in front of everybody and then this is what happens. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice in front of the tomb. Lazarus, come out. Imagine that moment. Dead man in the grave for four days. The odour of a dead body hitting your nostrils and then this God-man Jesus standing in front of the tomb saying, come out, what happens? 
The man who who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I always love this moment because it's quite a serious moment in the Bible, right? Jesus has just raised the dead man and you just have this image of a man sort of bouncing out of the tomb in linen and death clothes. And you're just sort of like, that would have been a really weird thing to observe. And Jesus is like, quickly take, take all of that off. And just a quick throwaway, that's what Jesus does. He has the authority to raise people from death to life and then he uses people like you and me to unbind them and to unwrap them. We get drawn in to help. It's amazing, it's a privilege. Jesus, the great conqueror, stands in front of this tomb and you might be sort of saying, well, this all sounds wonderful, but and what? What's this story about this Lazarus guy got to do with me? I want to say to you today, everything. It's got everything to do with you. Just a few verses on, In verse 53, so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and the news starts to spread as it would, right? News goes out about Jesus raising this dead man from death to life and then the religious leaders hear about it. And the religious leaders start talking and in verse 53 in John 11, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. The only way to get Lazarus, his friend, out of the grave was to go to the grave himself. Jesus knew if I go to Bethany and I raise Lazarus from death to life, that's going to be the beginning of the end for me. See, these events that unfold are just a precursor. They're a foreshadow of what's about to happen in a few weeks. Because in a few weeks, it's not going to be the death of Lazarus that everybody's looking onto. It's going to be the death of Jesus. And you see exactly the same features occur in the story with Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was in control and it was his timing to go to the tomb of Lazarus, that's exactly the same with his death. If you're a Christian here today or you're just visiting, be under no illusion that Jesus was in complete control on his way to the cross and even as he died and bled on the cross. It was his doing. He chose it. There's countless times where Jesus nearly gets taken and it says, but it wasn't the time. It wasn't the right time. Jesus chose to go to Jerusalem. He chose to stand in front of the religious leaders. He chose to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. He chose not to bring down army angels to deal with the people that came to arrest him. He chose to stand in front of the Roman authorities and he chose to go to the cross. And in the same way, people were looking onto this story saying, surely not. And in the same way in the story of Lazarus, people started to get confused. It's the same with Jesus. People, Jesus' friends are looking on going, surely you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. They probably didn't say it like that. That'd be a bit weird. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus, get out of the way. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going. This is how it's going to work. And again, for us, it's so confusing sometimes. He's going to do it like that. And people start to deny him. His best friends deny him and people start running away and walking away. And then you even get the crowd in the same way that they were saying, this man could heal people. Why hasn't he healed Lazarus? You know, people walk past the cross of Jesus when Jesus was hanging on the cross and they pointed at him and they said, look, here he is. He could could heal other people. Why doesn't he bring himself down? And they question the reality of who Jesus really was. But I tell you, church, It was in that moment when Jesus hung on the cross that he was dealing with death once and for all, not just for himself. He's God. He didn't go to the cross to save himself. He went to the cross for people like you and me. 
When Jesus was on the cross, he was taking the punishment that every human being that's ever existed deserves because of sin or wrongdoing in their life. And he said, I will go in your stead. And Jesus hung on the cross. And Jesus cried out in that moment, it's finished. It is finished. And when Jesus spoke those words, what he was saying is that death is no more. I've taken the death that Louis deserves. I've taken the death that Reuben deserves. I've taken the death that Victoria deserves, that Michael deserves. I've taken it upon myself. And that might sound quite alarming. That's the gospel. Every single one of us, without fail, are deserving of death. And Jesus, the Son of God, sent by the Father, comes and says, I'm going to take it on myself. And he dies on the cross and he shouts, it's finished. And I say this often, when Jesus says it's finished, it's like a ripple that goes out across history. And what's happened is that ripple has hit the hearts of these four getting baptised today. And so it's like Jesus has come to their tomb and said, Louis, come out. And he says, Reuben, come on out. Victoria, come out. Michael, come out. They say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And as they come out of the tomb, I tell you, it's not just like, so you might have a few years ahead of you now. That's not what's happening. They don't share in the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. They share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So when they go down into these waters, just hold there, it's all right, we can clap in a minute. When they go down into these waters, they're going down and they're sharing in the death of Christ Jesus. They're saying, I share in his death and I die to my old self. And as they come out of the waters, they're saying, I'm sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus never died again. Jesus didn't come back to life for a few years. He's alive now and he's well, he's all good. He's sat on the throne of glory and he always will be. He's never gonna die again. That's the resurrection that's being shared in today. Now we can clap for that, can't we? That's the deal. As they come out, they're, they're never gonna die again. Never gonna die again. This wonderful story of Lazarus, it, it just shows this massive picture that all of us are involved with because church and everyone visiting, hear this. When Jesus died on the cross and that ripple went out, it's finished. Death is no more. Sin is no more. I've made a way that you can come to the Father because I've taken the punishment upon my shoulders. The offer is to every single one of us, to every one of us. He knows your name. And if you already know the Lord Jesus Christ, man, cherish that. He knows your name. He called you by name and said, come. It's amazing. And if you're here today and you're observing, I want to say to you with all tenderness in my heart, the Lord God, the God of the Bible, he knows you by name. And he stands at the front of your tomb. He says, come out. Come and have life with me. Come and know your sin forgiven. Come and know life, not just for a few years, but life forever with me. And as we come out of the tomb and as these guys come out of the, the waters of baptism today, it doesn't mean there's never going to be any suffering. You see that in the story. Suffering isn't eradicated. It's through suffering that we get a greater picture of who Jesus is. And that's the deal with this story. Amen. Let me just pray and um, we'll move on with the rest of the meeting. Let's close our eyes and just concentrate on him. Father, I thank you so much that you're in the business of saving people. <laughs> we thank you that these four getting baptised today are sharing in your death and your resurrection. Thank you that you came to their tomb and you called them by name. 
Father God, I just pray for every person here today. Lord, if there's anyone, Lord, right now that doesn't know you and, and just feeling a sense that you're calling them by name. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and that you'd help them just to be courageous, to talk to somebody, maybe later on today. I want to know more about this Jesus who saves. I want to know more about eternal life. Lord, just as you said to Martha, I pray for each and every one of us that we would just hear that question again. Do you believe? Do you believe? And really consider what that means for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you.